Hey, it's Ronnie Gibson again. This is another episode of Short Life Advice. Today I have with me... Ryan Danley. Danley, what's going on, man? Nothing much. How you doing, brother? Good, good. Cool, Thanks for man. jumping on episode 43. Tell, uh, you tell some of my listeners who you are and and uh, what you do, maybe. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, I'm a regular guy from the Midwest, born in Youngstown, Ohio, and I've lived in Columbus, Ohio for most of my life. Um, you know, moved to Indiana for about 10 years to go to Butler and just like kind of build the beginning of my life after college there. And uh, after school, I found myself uh, first working for a casket company doing inside sales randomly, which was wild. I was selling websites to funeral homes, but uh, kind of got my way into HR and have spent the uh, majority of my career there. I now work for a top 100 auto manufacturer. Um, it's not Toyota, it's the other one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I do compliance and ethics for them uh, from a regional perspective where I kind of go through strategy and planning um, for the CNE department. So everything from like training to uh, surveys that we have to do and like our communication strategy policy updates, things like that. So that's that's a little bit about me, man. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Um, and you actually have a podcast yourself, right? Tell tell the fans what your podcast is and Danley and Friends, right? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So uh, Danley and Friends is a podcast. I'm on episode 62, I think I just dropped. And uh, it started kind of, you know, last year, like quarantine and stuff. Um, I was talking to people about kind of everything that was going on with kind of the social justice movement, if you will, and really diving into these conversations. A lot of them started on Facebook. And uh, there's one lady in particular who we weren't seeing eye to eye. And uh, before it devolved into kind of your typical name calling that you see on Facebook and stuff like that all the time, I was like, why don't we have a conversation like normal people and like actually hash this out? And so, you know, got on Zoom and talked to her and we we're like, you know, this was a pretty good convo, even though you know, afterwards we didn't really still see eye to eye, but we were able to kind of hash things out and kind of see where each other were coming from. And we're like, why don't we put this online for people to see that it's possible for people with different opinions to be able to have a conversation. And so we did that and it got a good response and people were like, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. And so I was like, all right, this is cool. So I started doing YouTube videos and then people were like, hey, I like the YouTube videos, but I can't close the app and do other things. Like I'd rather, you know, be able to listen. And so I was like, all right, let's do the podcast. And that was kind of the birth of it, and uh, now I, you know, seek to spread joy and showcase human beings that are doing awesome things in their communities and in the world. That's awesome. That, that sounds very similar to how I created my podcast, and and kind of a, you know, a somewhat similar theme as well. I, I was just having great conversations within my company and just even outside of my company, and. We'd have this very stimulating conversation with a lot of things that I would learn from that other person or they'd learn from me or we would um, come up with this uh, new idea or what we thought was novel. Probably people learned about it in the past, but in the, I just kept thinking, I was like, other people should be hearing this convo and maybe they can learn what I learned off of it or maybe even more, you know, so then... You know, Tim Ferriss was a podcast that I listened to a good amount. So I stole some of his questions and just kind of emulated it off him and then just 
jumped in there and um you know it's it's been great you know i get a lot of feedback from other people that you know that uh, get something out of the podcast that i wouldn't even uh thought someone to get out of it you know so that's that's uh you know i guess why we why we did it huh yeah man uh, it's like even if someone has the motivation to go look something up or you tell their friend about it or something it's like i don't know to me it's if you change one person's mind or heart or open it uh it kind of has this butterfly effect because they're gonna you know go to their friends and maybe talk about it and who knows how far that'll spread mm-hmm. for sure so i, I want to start out hot here i just listened to one of your recent episodes it was a solo episode just yourself and you were talking about your it's called in my mind again and you're talking about when it your accident that you had if if you're comfortable doing it can you share because I met you probably you know five or six years ago I would say and you know we had um, you know the same friends and we'd hang out and you know drink some beers together you know something to that nature and you you're always a great time always a great guy and you know a couple years back you had an accident and uh, kind of changed life for you as you knew it and uh, you had some difficulty dealing with that and that's what you shared in the episode you mind sharing it if you're comfortable yeah i don't uh. mind at all man well you know i appreciate the sentiment and uh the feelings mutual i've always enjoyed you and your brothers and stuff it's always been great um the accident was a wild wild situation so um i have some friends that live in canada and long story short they were like hey you should come to our buddy's cottage and we should go snowmobiling and i'd never been snowmobiling and i thought it sounded amazing to go snowmobiling in canada for the first time and uh we went and so uh, the first day we go out and like everything was fine and like my buddy has uh it's like a huge property it might be 40 acres they're all kind of trails and stuff and there's this lake that sits on the back of it called williams lake and so you know we're going and we're like oh let's go to the lake ripping it around the lake and you know there are no trees and stuff around and so i'm like all right you know i feel safe i've done this for a day i can go a little bit faster and so we're ripping it around the lake and uh it was the last lap before I was going to go in. I was like, oh, this is my last one, which is like, it was, oh man, just thinking back about that moment was brutal. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm going, I'm going, and I kind of see something up ahead, and I was like, it just looked like some snow, and um, once I got close enough to it, I realized it wasn't. It was a dock that was covered in snow, and uh, I woke up on my back looking at the sky, and uh, I had to be going like, you know, 60, 50 miles an hour or something, and uh I'm looking at the sky and I'm like, what the hell? My friends around me like, you okay? You okay? And like, I didn't feel any pain at the time. So mm. I thought we were good. And, uh, you know, I kind of moved my hands. I could move both my hands at the time, which was odd. My left hand, you know, is pretty impacted now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like, yeah, I feel good. Like, let's let's go back and, you know, get the day going. And I uh, went to stand up and nothing happened. And uh, it's the most unsettling feeling because you don't even think about standing up. You just do it. You know, it's something you've done for your whole life. Mm. And I uh, went to do it again and all I could think was what did I do and I just I think I just repeated that for a while until the EMS got there they had to helicopter me out and had a spinal decompression and fusion surgery and a spinal cord injury at the C7 level and I'm now considered a quadriplegic uh paralyzed from the chest down Mm. so um life-changing you know the there's a news article about me in Canada it started out uh American uh as life-altering snowmobile injury and uh it, will, it was life-altering. Um, 
I went from the best physical shape in my life to, you know, feeling good about my career and stuff like that to in a wheelchair and not sure what my future is going to hold. If I'd be able to have kids, if, if I can have kids, am I going to be able to like, you know, play with them and run with them and you know, do all those things that you want to do? Um, you know, that's all kind of up in the air. And when I found that out, like they don't really drop that on you easily when you're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. They just kind of tell you like, oh yeah, your life's different now. Here's everything that kind of sucks. Um, that's probably how you are now. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. Here's some medicine. And so, man, I was depressed. Like I, I've never felt anything like that because I'm typically a happy dude. And uh, and what the the doctor told you, right? He they were essentially like you're gonna be like this the rest of your life, and there's essentially nothing you can do about it. There was no, there was no nuance in the conversation, right? It was just like what was. Nope. Was you, your your wife there? Was your family there in that conversation too? Like what was, how was yeah. the environment? Um, my wife didn't leave my side uh, the whole time. It was kind of wild. But, you know, we had the surgery and stuff. And um, I'm like, all right, so like how long until I'm good to go? You know, like when, yeah. what do we need to do? Like how, how long until I start feeling things again? And because uh, at that point I couldn't feel anything. Like I could feel nothing below my chest. It was weird. And uh they were like, you're just like this. They're like, this is a spinal cord injury. This is considered incurable. And just kind of dropped it on me. And uh, this, I, I can't even remember what he said afterwards. It was a long list of like, you know, here are the things that, you know, you're going to have to consider moving forward. And, you know, they even start talking about like getting a cushion for my car and stuff. So I don't have to get like pressure sores. And they're like, oh, and uh, I know you said you like to play video games. Um, here's some adaptive controllers. And like, it was this whole gamut of things that we went through mm. and I was just like none of this is registering me to me because you just told me that my life is never going to be the same very casually you know mm-hmm. so that was brutal man and I wanted to die honestly I uh I thought that given my situation um the possibility of a fulfilling life wasn't wasn't in the cards I didn't think so um and that was, that was a rough place to be, man. Because mm-hmm. oh. it, it seems like you've, it seems like over the, because this happened in early 2019, right? So it's been, what, two and a half years? Yep, yep, January 26th, 2019. You know, it seems like you've you progressed a lot, you know, internally, spiritually, uh, everything that you can think of being, um, you know, in, a more even improved Ryan Danley in your life. And, um, like, looking back, you know, at your old self, do you think, like, the clinging to your previous identity was what was causing... That's kind of what I think about it. Maybe maybe you were feeling a little bit differently of, like... I'm so clean, you know, I cling to my own identity, you know, I'm, like you said, you're in the most fit of your life, you're eating healthy, everything's working out well, then all of a sudden, bang, man, you just, your life gets flipped on its head, and this guy's telling you, hey, man, you're done, you know, that's it, you're going to be in a wheelchair the rest of your life, you can, you can do this, this, and that, but it's going to be a struggle, and uh, I know you mentioned in the, the, the podcast was, and, and the solo podcast was like, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy of some of these doctors when they give you and tell you, hey, man, you're never going to walk again. 
it's like, well, people have walked again, man. You know, it's like yeah. pe- people have had the same uh, injury and have walked again. You know, so what about them? You know, if you don't mind sharing some of that feedback that you shared on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, man. So it is, I mean, to me, the mind is strong, right? And um, if someone tells you that you can't do something and they're an authority figure, um, you tend to believe them. And so implanted in my mind was this idea that I would never be the same. And I was given no hope. I was given no chance. And I think that they're uh, doing what they can to manage risk from their perspective because they don't want to you know, give you too much hope and then you're disappointed and then you sue them or something like that. So I can understand from that perspective why they're very cautious. However, once I was told what my life would be like, quote unquote, um, I started to look for those things. You know, I started to look for, oh man, they told me that I'm probably gonna be in chronic pain. And I started to seek that and like, oh man, that's it, here, it's, it's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, and instead of really assessing my situation and thinking like, okay, what is actually the situation? And so, I don't know, man, I just, when, when you decide to opt out of life, you, it's, it's a firm decision. And so I was like, let me like explore all things. And so I started reading all these books about the mind and belief and the power of thought and you see it in religion and you also see it in science, you know, quantum physics. Um, it, they come to kind of the same conclusions that the mind has an influence on our outer world. And so I started to take that to heart and I was like, let me just try to think some good thoughts and, you know, make myself feel a little bit better because shit, if this doesn't work, I'll be done anyway. You know what I mean? Like I'll be out of here anyway because I was planning to leave. Mm-hmm. And so once I started feeding myself positive thoughts and asking myself like, okay, they, they said that this was a freak thing. It happens. There's a 0.0054% chance of you getting a spinal cord injury. I never even considered it. And I'm like, if something that bad can happen, and I'm thinking about the laws of life, the laws of nature, things have to balance. So that means something equally as good on the opposite side of it is possible. So what if I do recover? And uh, there's a book I actually read called Man's Search for Meaning mm-hmm. that talked about life in uh, the Holocaust and in, in the prison camps. And Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that book saved my life, man. Um, there's a, a paragraph where he essentially says, I'm just talking about life in prisons, and he's like, it, you know, good luck streak happens for one out of a thousand prisoners, maybe, you know, that they get out and, you know, things are good for them. But he's like, who's to say that one day your day isn't going to come? Like, the only way that you can guarantee it is to survive, to see that day dawn. And he often talked about how you could tell about three or four days in advance when someone was gonna die mm-hmm. because they would just give up hope and you could see their demeanor change and like just everything changed about them. And so I was like, man, I gotta feed myself some hope. And uh, I wrote a poem, man, it's called Why Not Me? And uh, it just, I, w- I would read it to myself um, basically daily for a while and I-, I do it every so often now because it's kind of just like, I don't know, it's in the back of my mind now. But it, it was just like, why not me? Why can't I be the person who heals? Why can't I be the person who overcomes this? Why can't I be the person who they discover the cure in? You know, that I get some sort of trial or something like that. So why would I opt out when things are probably going to get better? And if they don't, fuck it. I'll go down in history as someone who never gave up. That would be my legacy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Is, is 
What was the, the poem? You, you got it on hand? You got the poem on hand? Or you got I do. I do, man. So, Read it off, man. I love that. That was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And so it's called Why Not Me? And uh, I wrote it on a particularly sad day just to like make myself feel better. And so it's so Why Not Me? Someone can create change. Someone can overcome. Someone can beat the odds even when they're slim to none. Someone can heal. Someone can face their fears. Someone can reach new heights and power through the tears. Someone can be the example. Someone's got to be. Someone can and someone will. Well, why not me? You know? If so. I, I gave you a set of questions that I usually ask just to, and uh, one of them was, you know, if, if, if you could have a billboard and put anything on it and to reach millions, millions people, would that be what you'd put on it, or would you put on it? That's it, bro. Yeah, that's it. Like, I love you, can, it. you can be the example. You can overcome things. You can do whatever you want to do within reason. But the prerequisite to that is the belief that you can. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe that you can, you're already beat. You know. Where does that start? So, like, I think of you know myself before I started, you know, meditating and, and reading some of these books and and thinking how to separate myself from my thoughts and the identity that I created, um, you know, and stop identifying with me, whatever me is. I'm throwing quotes up right now for yeah. the listeners. You know, until I understood that, you know, I lived 27, 28 years of my life essentially running on autopilot, a slave to my mind, you know, and so it's like when you do that, then you, then you're just, you're, whatever emotions come up, a lot of them in your subconscious, which is, you know, what the book you talked about on that podcast and, you know, I've heard you talk about Joe Dispenza, but uh, The Power of the Subconscious Mind by Joseph Murphy, I've read that one too. Really, really good stuff, but it all comes back, I think where it starts is like, yeah, why not me? But first, and everyone, you know, I don't care if you have an accident, I don't I don't care if you, what your beginning is to your life, what your circumstances used to be, but like, it, none of that matters because all we're in the present moment now, and the only thing that matters is what we're going to do now, heading forward. So why not me starting now? You know, yeah. and then it, a lot of times our subconscious, if we're not, are running our thoughts and our emotions. So if we're not paying attention to our thoughts and emotions, and that's what really clicked for me, man. When I was reading, you know, first when I got into meditation, it helped a lot. And then when I started listening to uh, and reading Joe Dispenza in you talked about, I think, Viktor Frankl or, or something really hit you in the soul, or maybe it was Alan Watts, but you know, you mentioned something hit you deep in the soul. That hit me in the soul, that realization. It's like, holy shit, every single thought that I have, every single thing that comes up is very, very powerful, so I need to take it all. One, I need to try and be mindful of all of them because even if I do have a, a negative type of thought, I need to not... Uh, you know, get drawn out into it where it creates more negative thoughts and then uh, makes it worse. But like being aware that like one example I always use is, it, you know, if it's raining, you know, we got up, it was raining here in Ch- Chicago. So, you know, get up and it's like, oh shit, man, today's going to be, today's going to be a crappy day. It's raining. Imagine if you do that a couple more times, then you're 
your body, your mind, your body's listening to your mind, and then before you know it, it's raining and you're feeling down. You don't even really know why. You didn't even have a thought about it yet. And then now you're running on autopilot. And imagine me living 27, 28 years through my life not even realizing this. And everyone else is doing the same. I know it because I did it. Or most people, unless you had a very... Unless Alan Watts was your father, or, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. But <laughs> that'd be dope. <laughs> but I'm sure you went into a similar circumstance. So like having that click, and it, and if if this isn't, because if somebody would have came to you, Danley, you know, five years ago, I would have just said that very uh, spiel to you. Then would you would you look at me like I'm an idiot? It'd have been it'd have been different. Like it would have been. I think I was always like receptive to these types of ideas, mm-hmm. but I like to think that this accident brought me forward at least a decade in terms of like my mind state. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about like identifying with your previous self, and that was a big thing for me, man. Because like, to me, when people are like, you, know, you introduce yourself at work or to friends, they're like, oh, who are you? You essentially say like what you do. You know, you're like, oh yeah, I enjoy golf and DJing and you know these different things and. Uh, you know, once a lot of those things were stripped away from my ability, like partying with friends, you can't really party that hard in a wheelchair. Like you can, but there are health considerations. You know, you can't really run after a beer pong ball. It's like all different. And so, you know, all these things I identified with myself were no longer there. I'm like, well, who am I? You know, who am I actually? Because mm-hmm. I've been telling people I'm this guy, but now I'm sitting here without the ability to do these things. So what makes me me? And so you're right. I had to like, really sit and think through um, what do I value in life? Because I, I think I got a little bit deeper into that. Um, who do I care about? How do I want to spend my time? Um, so it's a lot of a lot of thoughts that stemmed from that, you know, who am I? That identity question mm-hmm. that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I, I think like, so I, I got introduced to this type of thinking kind of by happenstance. Like I've always uh, been into it a little bit. But my buddy Dan Link, he's kind of a, he's a psychonaut, he's kind of a hippie, he's like just a free spirit, he's one of the best people I know. Um, he sent me a video from Terrence McKenna a long, long time ago. And it was about like consumerism and how, you know, people are caught up in the cycle of consumerism and, you know, we just want to be buying the next things and stuff. And I was like, man, this is, this is interesting. And so I started clicking through Terrence McKenna and that led me to Alan Watts somehow. And that was, boom, it just ballooned from there. Um, I, I discovered the book As a Man Thinketh. It's one of my favorite books. I read it at least four times a year because um, it's very small. It's very short, but I get something new every time. Who was the author of As a Man Thinketh again? Uh, James Allen. Okay. He's a dude. Uh, I think he's born in either like the 1800s or 1900s. And Ilfracombe, England, is where I guess the book was either published or written. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. like. I don't know, that, that way of thinking really changed my perspective on life as a whole and kind of made me grateful for having gone through what I went through, you know? Mm-hmm. It's amazing it takes something like that to flip, you know, our viewpoint on these type of large perspectives. You know what I mean? It, like, it, it took me, like, getting in... To a Japanese culture center and meditating, getting way, way out of my comfort zone and getting these people sharing these random 
you know, meditations with me and then diving in, then finding people like Alan Watts and Sam Harris and talking about these things and then finally realize like, wait a second, those voices in my head, that's not me, you know, wait, and, and like Alan Watts articulates it very, very well and, uh, and Sam Harris does really well too, but like, I just never thought you could, I, I, you, I just thought that was me, it never was a second question, I think then when you can separate that and then you can step into like, why not me, because like what, going back to uh, you know, some of the doctors when, you know, and I think this happens a lot in our culture there. It's like, all right, you have heart, you have, uh, you know, heart disease or you have diabetes, like you're just done. Just take this medication. And then it's like, you're going to take this rest of your life. Uh, sorry. You know, it's like, all right, come back. And when you run out of pills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like sometimes, you know, I think it's, kind of like what you were inferring it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy when we're coming out the gate and we're telling these people they have no say in their life they have no say in anything you know like you know joe dispenza himself you know in the you are the placebo he, he talked about it but uh you know he had a similar accident where he had a, a back in injury and then he elected not to get surgery and through the mind and will, the power of the mind and will of his own, he started thinking in his mind. And it's like, this all is going to sound woo-woo, you know, very, very woo-woo, but it's like, all of us believe it, it, and if we don't know it or not. So he started just picturing himself, imagining himself healed, and and walking again, and, and doing all these things, and now... You know, and then eventually he started walking again and he miraculously healed himself. But everyone listening believes that, believes believes in it, whether you think it, you don't or not, because of the placebo effect. We've designed our whole medical field. All of our clinical studies are designed around the placebo effect, the power of the human mind yep. to heal e themselves. Because that's why you have a, no study is great unless you have a double blind placebo controlled study. Exactly. So, because our mind is so powerful, it works just as good as most SSRIs. You know, there's a lot of studies where it works just as good as SSRIs. So, most SSRIs are not more effective than the own human power of our mind. So, like, imagine if we do what Joe Dispenza does, but on a, you know, on a level where people are showing up to the doctor and say, hey, man, you, you actually could heal and here's some people that healed. It's not likely, you know, there's a lot of people that don't heal, but maybe he here's some stuff that they did and here's some books that they read. I think that would be a lot more empowering and not so, you know, like you said, you you listen to your doctor, it's the doctor, man. Oh, he went to grade school and he knows way more than us, you know, but right. the dude's never listened to Alan Watts though, or he's, yeah. not, you know, he's never heard about Joe Dispenza. <laughs> yeah, and, and he, even like I noticed a lot of those guys too. It's just like any job, right? You get in your routine, and you're just kind of like you're seeing your patients, you're doing your thing. You have this belief system that's already established, um, and you, you just kind of operate under that. Because I would ask them about these scientific studies 
and stuff. Like we were, I was, uh, like I went through a tear, man. I was like, I got to figure out a way to solve this. I was reading all kinds of papers, articles, scientific journals and stuff. And I'm like, well, okay, they say a lot about you know, turmeric and uh, curcumin uh, reducing inflammation. Like, can we get that into my diet? And they're like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, you can. You can buy some supplements and just like, let us know. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I thought, like I had this viewpoint that, oh, like once I get to the hospital in this rehab center, they're going to be pulling my blood every day. We're going to be looking at my nutrient levels. We're going to be optimizing, you know, my diet and everything that we can to get me back on track. Nah, man. They were feeding me whatever slop that was available. Um, it, we didn't care about my diet at all. I was eating bacon and shit. Yeah. Um, and at the time, like, I needed anything I could to kind of pacify me. So I was, I was like, whatever. I'm just going to eat this bacon because it tastes good and it's the only thing I can get down. Um, but looking back, it's like, why didn't we look at some of these studies and say, yeah, we probably shouldn't be shooting stem cells into me all willy-nilly because that's not 100% proven yet. But we can do some of these things like manipulate my gut microbiome and, you know, try to reduce inflammation and, you know, things like that that facilitate healing. And I think what you're getting at in a sense is we often don't treat the root cause of things and we treat the symptoms and we treat them into perpetuity because if you don't address the root cause, it's never going to go away. And so all you're doing is giving people these meds and keep telling them to come back. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, profit. But mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's sad, man, because I think the mind is a beautiful thing. I think we uh, are less limited than we believe in our ability to uh, influence outcomes, uh, heal ourselves. Um, have you heard of the Spontaneous Remission Project at all? Uh, I, someone's mentioned that in a podcast or something. Explain it for the listeners and, and myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is this repository. It's like this project they did. And uh, basically, I think it's like 2,500 cases of uh, spontaneous recovery. Okay, I've, I've from heard this, yeah. things that people didn't think were possible. Like, uh, there's one instance of this lady who had stage four cancer. And they basically sent her home to die. And they were like, yeah, sorry, go get your affairs in order and just like spend your time with your family. And uh, she was like, fuck this. Like every day she would stand in her uh, kitchen, she said, and she'd go every day and in every way I'm getting better and better. And she would repeat this mantra to herself, believing that she is getting better. And that's the key. I think you have to believe because mm -hmm. Joe Dispenza, you know, when he talks about his healing, he talks about... Uh, coming from the place of the wish fulfilled. And a lot of people talk about that. But I think that's what this lady did. She was just kind of like in her mind, she saw that she was healed and her cancer went away. <laughs> and like there's stuff like that. Um, there's a, an instance where, I forget what disease this guy had, but um, it was basically like incurable. And so his doctor was like, man, like, okay, um, we can kind of treat this and, and see how it goes. And you know, this guy came and was like, well, they did this study and they found this new medicine and the doctor was like, all right, well, I guess it won't hurt if I don't tell him that I don't have this medicine, but we'll just pretend because he's probably going to die anyway. And so he injected like saline into this guy or whatever. And the dude was like up and fucking feeling good and was just like walking around. And they were like, yo, this guy is better. Like uh, he's objectively better. And then uh, it came out on the news that they did a follow up study and that the medication didn't actually work. And once he saw that, he died within like days or something like it was it was an absurd story. But that leads me to believe that it's all in your mind, man. A lot of it 
It's just in your head and what you feed yourself has a big impact on how you feel and what's possible, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and this stuff goes back, way back before, this isn't just Joe Dispenza figured out, you know, or like Joseph Murphy in The Power of Subconscious Mind. The, I like to call him the Dispenza before Dispenza. But man, this is, you look at what I loved about Joseph Mercy, what he did, Joseph Murphy was, he sh- tied a lot of it to religion and he wasn't religious at all, but he was using a lot of these Bible verses and other religious verses, but sharing them and you could tell whoever written the Bible and you know, it's been translated so many times. A lot of it got lost, but you could tell a lot of what they were saying. They truly believed. I don't even know if they believed it was, you know, God or universal consciousness or nature that was healing them. They truly believe that thinking that way, the power and the thought and belief is what healed. And like, some of these verses kind of blew my mind when Joseph Mercy was sharing them. So it's like, and you shared it's in several other religions, it, it, and it ties back even with the Greeks, you know, and some of their philosophy of how powerful the mind is. And, you know, this is, it seems like we always learn it in each, you know, we a lot of society forgets it, but then a small, um, you know, esoteric population figures it out again and then we lose it again and then we gotta figure it out again and then we lose yeah. it and figure it out again <laughs> I think that's just how society goes we can't I don't think concepts like these can I guess amass over 7 billion people huh? yeah <laughs> yeah man it's that rhythmic balanced interchange and uh, you know the, the Joseph Murphy thing was interesting to me because uh, growing up I went to a Jewish school for elementary school because it was you know the nice school around otherwise i wouldn't have had a chance so my family sent me there so i'm this you know black christian kid at a jewish school i go home to a christian family and both places are telling me that their religion's right and so i was like eh, that didn't really sound like it makes sense to me because you guys are saying different things using different books so i was just like off put by religion in general because i was like ah it just seems like you know a way for people to control others and you look throughout history and there's been a lot of revision of the bible for the sake of control Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, man, maybe this is just like a social control thing. Like, I'm not with it. This seems fake. I don't know about there really being a guy in the sky. And uh, once I read that power of the subconscious mind, I was kind of like, okay, maybe the Bible is saying some different stuff. And if you think about the uh, intelligence of the time, how can you explain concepts like that to people who don't know how to read or write or you know, probably don't have too many words in their vocabulary that they use. They're not really familiar with much. They, they probably do their job and go home. There was no internet, so they weren't reading at the rate that we do. How do you explain things to people other than stories and metaphors? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how you try to get it to stick. So I think that people look at the Bible as like this literal thing, but really it's kind of like a, a metaphor. It's a, it's, it's stories to kind of let us know that essentially we are God. And the way I've heard it described in Buddhism is we are to God as the waves are to the ocean. And so we're not the whole thing. Like I'm, I'm not the Lord. Like I'm not sitting here saying that. But being created in God's image, we have 
it logically follows that we have the ability to uh, access some of the same power of creation. Kind of like the properties of a wave are similar to the properties of an ocean. You know, you still have the same rules that apply. Mm. So I think that to be true. And uh, the power of the subconscious mind really showed that to me. Um, and I think that you alluded to programs. Like where a lot of us are programmed in our ways of thinking. I mean, the brain uh, is in like the theta state until you're like six or seven. And so you're just like wide open and receptive to everything that's happening around you. Well, who are the people that were around you? Unless your dad was Alan Watts, like you said, you're probably getting a lot of the same trauma that your parents and people around you have instilled upon you. And then also these new traumas that happen as a result of things that you don't understand when you're young. And so you're playing these programs and it's hard to fucking reprogram after a while because the brain is, is it's very plastic, but it's also uh, the path of least resistance is its favorite way to operate. Yeah. And so you have to fight these programs and if you've been thinking a certain way for 20, 30 years and you introduce yourself to a new idea, not only do you have to fight through the cognitive dissonance that occurs, you then have to fight to create that new pathway and reinforce it in the same strength that your other foundational beliefs were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and people don't have the time to do that. They don't have the emotional strength to do that. Mm-hmm. They don't have the uh, desire to do that often. Yeah. You know, it's just hard. So where do you, where do you start if you're like, you're, you're telling somebody to get to this point, you know, cause I still have a lot more growth, you know, spiritually and, and you know subconsciously and you know like we said a lot of these things you know I went 30 years building all this stuff into my subconscious yeah <laughs> where do you where do you start to get like if you if all this is just not connecting because i don't think it if i'm playing this podcast back to my 21 year old self in college you know smashing like 10 beers three times a week, you know, just completely out of where I am now. Um, like, how do I convince that guy who had, you know, a lot bigger ego than he does now? How, how do you start? What would be the first step if someone's listening to start on, you think? To get that's on that great, journey. It's a great question, man. It's a hard one because it's been a, a journey of years. You know, you yeah. can't just point to like, one moment because it's been like the compounding of all these moments but uh i think uh something you alluded to earlier was exposure like exposing yourself to different people exposing yourself to different ideas because i think often what happens is uh we gravitate to people who are very much like us and that creates an echo chamber and uh it feels comfortable to get your beliefs reinforced and not challenged but until they're challenged how can you know that your beliefs are strong. And so maybe that's where you start. Maybe you tell this person with the ego, you know, if you're really that badass, you know what I mean? Challenge people. And then if, if you're that tight, if, if your beliefs are that solid, they'll stand. And then if they don't, then you can hold better ones. And you can not be wrong from that point moving forward, you know, until you're proven wrong again. And so I think maybe, I don't know, getting around different people, because for me that was key. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and just reading everything you can because eventually I started to see connections and seemingly unrelated things just because I was exposed to so many different ideas, you know? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's how I 
gotten as far as I've gotten intellectually and just spiritually and everything is because just listening to other people, podcasts, and reading, you know, just reading about other people, people way more intelligent than I am, talk about these concepts and then say, hey, you know, some of the stuff we were just talking about, hey, people have been talking about this for thousands of years. You know, this yeah. isn't some novel new thing. This has been going on. Yeah. And actually, here's another thought, man. Um, everyone that's ever existed was a baby. And so when you think about that, it's like they started at zero. They were shitting themselves. They were, you know, chewing on stuff they shouldn't chew on. And eventually some of them came to lead the free world or some of them came to create, you know, life-changing inventions. What's the difference between you and them? Mm-hmm. Nothing, really. You know what I mean? They're a person just like you are. So if you pursue something with that desire, with that passion, that veracity, uh, perhaps you can get results that are of the same magnitude or similar, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I love it. Ha- having a, uh, just, I had a son about a month and a half ago, but that baby concept of just thinking like, I used to be a baby just like this and my parents were going through the same thing. That kind of hit me and it hit me like in the soul almost. And I was like, <laughs> oh, just realizing that it's like, oh, all this stuff they've been saying, it's like one day, this little guy is going to be 15 years old, you know, and then I'm going to be saying the same stuff that my mom and dad said, or, you know, just as he grows up, but it's like everyone starts from a baby, you know, and it's like, even wherever you're at currently, it's like, if you're 30 years old, if you're 40 years old, or if you're 50 years old, like some of my best, most favorite authors, Stephen Pressfield was one of my uh, favorite authors like he didn't write his first book till he's like 50 53 years old um uh he was in his 50s the fate the book that i enjoy is war of art i always talk about it in here it's he talks about the the concept of resistance and that's just the voice in your head that you know tries to prevent you from being your best self in the world yep and you know essentially what we've been talking about but he he calls it resistance and i i like calling it resistance like that as well but he was like known for like he he was writing forever and wasn't very successful and kept doing a bunch of odd jobs and then finally he landed a it was a book about golf i'm trying to think what the what it was it's like the greatest story ever told or something okay it was they made a movie, into a movie out of that I think. yeah 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 i think it was like shia labeouf was in that or something maybe like i don't know the legend of bagger vance was of uh, what he what he wrote but you know okay. it's like it, it doesn't matter where you're at you know in your life you, you can make a change starting today um but going, going back to some of that you know, we were talking about, um, you know, religion and some of the stories and how, you know, some of the, over the years through translation it gets lost. Jordan Peterson talks about that really, really well of, you know, some of those, the, the effect of some of those stories and in, in translating some of the stuff uh, from the Bible and, and the history of that and what they really meant from it and uh and how you can apply it because like you said like our concepts of life and what was going on around us was so you know 
so small um, that we, you know, we didn't have hardly any technology or anything to understand how anything was made or, you know, science wasn't, there wasn't much scientific thought really. Yeah. Uh, so like imagine an anthropologist coming back to study like just meme culture, you know, just meme culture alone. <laughs> imagine trying to fucking understand that. Yeah. Like it, it wouldn't happen. And so, I mean, even think about just like the words people use. Like if I say, ew, that is nasty. Like that, it, it, I think it's disgusting. But if I go, bro, that was so nasty, then like that means it's a good thing. Yeah. So it's like tone and nuance and context. You're trying to translate this thing over thousands of years and make it easily digestible to a wide audience. Something's going to get lost in there, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. What, one thing that you, you talked about in that podcast I forget who is may have been Joseph Mercy where he's talking about how the man's mind, man or woman's mind is like a garden and uh, you got to be like a master gardener of your soul or your or your thoughts essentially you know if you if you uh, you know if you have good thoughts, you'll bear good fruit you know if you have bad thoughts you will bear bad fruit. Uh, essentially, I was saying I love that. I guess that metaphor or analogy, whatever you would call it. There. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's as a man thinketh, and uh, is it? Okay. It's, it's online for free, but I'll send you a hard copy because I it's my favorite thing to do is send people that book. So, I love um, it. yeah, man. But yeah, man's mind is like a garden. Um, that one sat with me too because you look at people's yards, and if they have a garden and they don't take care of it, a bunch of weeds pop up. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. They don't have to do anything. That is just nature. Seeds and stuff are going to blow into it, and that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Kind of like if you don't focus your thoughts, all the TV and stuff you watch, all the ads on Instagram, all the memes and stuff are going to influence your mind, and you're going to start thinking about those. And nothing can come from corn but corn, nothing but nettles from nettles. So if you have shitty thoughts, what can come from them but shitty thoughts? Man mm-hmm. knows this law in nature and you know dealing with crops but doesn't understand it in the mind and so i found that completely interesting mm-hmm. because it's like okay if i don't cultivate it something's going to grow so i need to cultivate it and put things in there that i want to be in there mm-hmm. yeah and if we're and a lot of times we're getting information that isn't so great from other avenues so we got to be we got to be a, a good vetting person on what's coming in you know just same thing as i think it's uh tick uh not han or however you pronounce his name um, yeah yeah he talks about you know just as in a diet you know what you put in is what you get out you know good information and the same thing for the mind is like what good information comes in you know so i'm if i'm you know and it really ties into kind of over the last year and a half especially you know with the this uh pandemic you would say is uh been going on and you know there's a lot of negative news out there and you got to be very careful of what you're taking in and if you are taking in one set of news it's like make sure like you said earlier you're maybe bringing in and listening to other people outside of your own friends group because maybe you're in an echo chamber and that's one of the hardest things to do 
But it's like if you know if you continually take in that information, and a lot of it's been fear, you know. So if you're continuously taking in fear, you know, you're and then imagine what's going to be coming out of you know. So if you take in you take in those bad thoughts, you're going to have or you take in a lot of fear. Fear is going to be emulated around you everywhere the people you talk to your family the way you handle your life and you can't go through life basing it all around fear not only is it shown to like be very very impactful to your immune system and your actually biological uh system like your body and and how you heal like fear is one of the worst things that you can have and uh you know it your autonomic nervous system gets activated and you start having some you know sympathetic nervous system gets going the fight or flight and then nothing you know we were talking about inflammation earlier like you can't heal when it all comes there so if you're bringing in a lot of fear-based news and it's tough right now because it's like oh you want to you want to stay up to the date especially at the beginning of the pandemic but you want to oh let's yeah. you know, we want to stay knowledgeable want to get all the information but you, next thing you know man you you just fear your neighbor you know and then yeah. you fear your kids you know and then you you're you and then imagine starting out like you said kids start out their first six to seven years in that theta brain state which is like a very uh, absorbable brain state where everything essentially is getting downloaded in their subconscious there's no vetting process up there it's just like they see it it gets downloaded in their subconscious and that's why a lot of people have a lot of traumas from their that that are down in their subconscious because they get them the first six seven years and they don't remember them and they're deep down in so like imagine if you're a child over the last and you're under seven years old you know like imagine that's a rough start, man, because that you're whole based around fear. Your fear you're gonna kill your grandmother, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like so. It's like we need to be very careful for our youth, especially. You know, I think just had a you know a son. I think about that. It, you know, I'm glad he's a lot younger, and I'm hoping a lot of this will be solved by then, so yeah. I won't have to deal with it. But like, I can't imagine you know i've seen some parents and sharing some things going through it and it's that's tough man because yeah they're absorbing everything and if fear is their main driver of what they're absorbing whew, that's, that's a brutal world man i hope that you know some of these kids that are six seven now whoever uh is the strongest of them becomes uh, you know therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists because there's going to be a huge need um, but I think you're right, man. Like this fear-based stuff is garbage. Uh, when I was in the hospital, I was in uh, uh, rehab, like basically a, a inpatient rehab for like 60 days. And I didn't watch the news. I didn't want to hear it. Like, I think we watched like one thing about like the Mueller report when it was supposed to come out. And yeah, how much of a nothing was that? But um, I was sitting there and I, I realized after I got out of the hospital, I was like, man, I went like two months without really paying attention to the news and it brought me a lot of joy. And nothing changed fundamentally in my life. Nothing bad happened. And then I kind of got like really into it with the pandemic and I started to get scared, man. I was like, damn, like I can't go outside. Like, you know, I got a spinal cord injury. This is a respiratory thing. My diaphragm's fucked. Bro, I bought like, like, a, like a full face gas mask shield 
at one point because I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what this is going to turn into. Yeah. And, and uh, I was scared. And then I was like, fuck this, man. Like, I don't need to be scared anymore. I don't want to watch the news. I don't need to watch the news. If something that serious will happen, Apple will send me a fucking alert on my phone. Or somebody <laughs> will be like, oh, my God, did you see that they nuked the thing? And I'll be like, all right, man, I guess this is what's going down. You know, I'll, I'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. But it's interesting to me, uh, especially you talked about this vaccine thing. Seeing people be so fucking sure about it mm-hmm. is mind-blowing to me. Because I saw something that was like, we're all getting this information secondhand. Nobody is in these labs doing this work. And even the people in the labs doing the work don't know what the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. As evidenced by studies coming out of Israel that say you know, natural immunity is better. You get some studies that say that young boys getting the vaccine, it's, infe- it's infecting their heart. Mm-hmm. And you know, making their heart enlarged or you know, have different problems. So it's like, people say trust the science quote-unquote, but what they mean by that is trust the mainstream narrative that exists about getting the vaccine. That's all they're saying, because mm-hmm. what science is, is what's left over after we've questioned everything. Mm-hmm. That is science. And if there are still questions, which there are a fuck ton of questions, then that's not science. That is, we are on the way to getting there. You know, that we follow a scientific method to get there, but getting on TV and telling people, you better get the vaccine or else. Like, I, I think the logic involved in having people work a pandemic for the entire time risk their lives risk their family with no vaccine and be okay with it and then the next year you fucking fire them that yeah that that part me in the soul man like some of these people in new york a lot of these nurses and stuff getting fired and like you know, it's very controversial, and people don't like talk about it. People get all uncomfortable about talking about vaccines, man. But like, if we don't talk about it, then you know, we're never gonna figure it out. That's what science is true, truly is, man. It's like experimental. It's like you're always trying to prove it wrong. You know, it's yeah. like science is like the concept is always falsifiable. You know, like yeah. e- even the. The word science is based on the uh, the Latin phrase ignoramus, which means we don't know or I don't know. You know, it's like the whole yeah. thing is based around like, let's try, let's not try to protect and defend this concept. Let's make sure it's completely legit. And if there, if there is some weaknesses to it, let's, let's poke them. Let's be openly trying to poke them out and figure them out. But like now we're in this, we're in this environment where we're censoring any opposite viewpoint. Like, man, there was there's people being censored for just sharing. They got the vaccine, and they're just sharing their, their side effects. And they're getting censored. You know, like entire groups of people sharing side effects on Facebook. You know, hundreds of thousands of people just deleted. You know, and then like famous people... Uh, profiles getting deleted, so many YouTube stuff getting censored for having any just like this is the stuff that that's anti-science, man. It's you know? so anti-science, <laughs> and like the headlines that you see coming out when they try to like shame these people, it's it's the worst, man. It, it is the worst, and it's so frustrating because like I, I'm not I'm not gonna be like I'm not anti-vax, but I'm not pro-vax. You know what I mean? Yeah. My my personal risk tolerance. Like, I went through a, an exercise where I was like, okay, I have a spinal cord injury. This is a respiratory illness. I might fucking die. Do I get the vaccine? I don't know. I don't know about 
the new ones, the mRNA, like the Moderna and Pfizer, maybe I'll get this J&J because there's a 100% chance that you won't die or get hospitalized and it was tested against the new variants where the other ones weren't, which people don't know that, by the way, because they don't fucking read, but they're like, oh, the J&J one's worse, and it's like, no, it was just actually tested more, and they tested against new variants, whereas the other ones weren't tested, but okay, whatever, tell your story. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was my personal risk assessment. I, If I didn't have a spinal cord injury, I probably wouldn't have gotten the vaccine um, because I was healthy, I was young. Um, you can still transmit the virus with or without the vaccine. So... Why are you trying to make me feel guilty for transmitting something that it doesn't matter if I get the vaccine or not? Mm. So I don't know. I, I thought that was weird. But at the same token, I was in like a I was like one of 30 people who got an experimental drug shot into my spinal cord. So I was like, fuck it. Shoot the drugs at me, bro. And at this <laughs> yeah. point, like, you know, whatever, man, I, I'm here. I'm just kind of giving it up to the universe at this point in my life. I feel like I'm on borrowed time. Yeah. But no, I, uh, I don't I don't blame it, man. It, it's it, what blows my mind is we can't. Like, it's almost like I'm living in some sort of bizarro world. You know, it's like everyone, and I think more people are waking up out there and seeing, like, wait a second. They're, they're trying to force this on people. If it's so good, they shouldn't have to force it on people. You just share how good it is. Yeah. And then, you know, and get and educate people. And, and don't call them dumb. You know, our president's out there calling people morons for not getting it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. not a very... Uh, great environment to convince people to get it you know and then now we're mandating something that doesn't even prevent transmission you know and then you like you said you see and then you have man i I have like 15 plus studies talking about how great uh natural immunity is and nowhere how much better natural immunity is up to 23 times better in the Israel study. It was like 13 to 23 times better at uh, transmission and um, and symptoms um, was the natural immunity in the Israel study. And it most of it was because it was dealing with the Delta variant. You know, it's a different variant. And the previous, the vaccine only, you know, without getting too much into it, it only kind of focuses on the one variant and, and it just kind of, that's kind of what people are seeing is why it's not as great against other variants. But, you know, when you have all this information, you know, natural immunity isn't taken into account anywhere. Like if we would have just included those people into the numbers, but now those people are anti-vax people, yeah. you know? And yeah. then that's, and it's like this, we're just attacking a bunch of people you know, and then we won't even, people aren't even considered, like, people with autoimmune diseases or heart issues that are shown to be a part of the side effects yeah. of the vaccine. It's like, no, no exceptions for you, sir. Well, you know, there's actually thousands of people that have died from this vaccine, sir. Like, wait a under with the same, you know, heart issues. Like, what are we doing? You know, yeah. it's going uh, to gloss over this, bro. Or what, yeah. what's happening? We're going to get canceled talking about it on here. I know, dog. It's, <laughs> it's, it's brutal. And I mean, speaking of that, man, like think of like some of these words that they come up with, like to describe, like, you know, even anti-vaxxer, like mansplaining. Like I, I think of these words that have popped up lately and they're easy ways to dismiss someone if what they're saying remotely sounds like it aligns 
with a different position than yours. Mm-hmm. It's easy to dismiss him. Oh, he's a guy explaining something. He's just mansplaining. It doesn't give. It doesn't matter if you know his points make sense or anything like that. Oh, he's against vaccines. He's an anti-vaxer, and those people suck. And so it's easy to dismiss people, and you no longer listen to them. And people don't understand that that's a form of control. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like people are controlling us through the words that they use. So you got to be careful about listening to these people on TV, man. Yeah, it's tough. There's. I, I re-looked up the word, you know, propaganda on uh, the definition of propaganda. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, wait a second. And, you know, it's information, especially of a bias or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. And there's a lot of propaganda. I don't care what side or what, what news station it is. There is a lot on there. So be careful what propaganda you're that's getting downloaded into your subconscious of the information you're letting flow in, into your ears. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, like one of the weirdest biases that I think humans live through is we can look at these atrocities that governments and, you know, countries and stuff have done to their people over the years as, you know, recent as like the 80s, 90s and stuff like that. But we're like, for some reason, ah, oh, they wouldn't do that to us. You know what I mean? Like, that stuff's over. That was the past. And it's like, for some reason, we believe we're immune to it. But look up, like, Edward Bernays, who wrote the book on propaganda. And, you know, see how we're using psyops instead of, you know, pure fighting military in- intervention all the time. Mm-hmm. We, we just fucking run campaigns on people to change their sentiment and make them feel a certain way. And then we come do what we want to do based on that. The Cambridge Analytica thing. That, that's all Facebook was. That's all Facebook is. 19 out of the 20, like, right-wing evangelical Facebook groups are fucking troll farms. Mm-hmm. You know what I, I mean? I saw that. That was an absolutely insane. It's wild. And it was from, like, what, some other country troll? Was it Russia? Or I was think it, it was Russia. Other? I don't yeah. remember the country, but yeah. yeah. It, it's like, so you hear stuff like that. I, I just don't understand how a person in this day and age could have such firm beliefs based on information presented to them by an entity made up of other people that have human motivations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't understand how you could trust that 100%. For sure. And then, <laughs> you know? And then you saw, like, the, you know, the whole Trump-Russia-gate thing was all, like, perpetrated by Hillary and was, like, fake, and there's plain truth, you know? And we talked about that for three years, man. We and talked it, about that was, a while, yeah. And it was like, wait a second, this was all fake? You know, every news channel was playing that for months and years, man, and people still talk about it. But there's, I forget who wrote the the paper on it, but uh, revealing it all, like her, her lawyer and everything, kind of, but we don't even need to get into it because yeah. it's absolutely insane. But, like, it's flat-out proof that all that was completely fabricated, man. And I'm just like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, and the article they write on it, it's like this small little retraction that gets no headline coverage, like whatsoever. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, all that shit we were telling you is fake, you know. And yeah. you're just supposed to like continue your life, and there's no consequences for those people, no retribution or anything. No matter know? how much, how mad people were, you know, and how much that drew their. Uh, perception on him, you know, whether you agree with him or not, or think of all this stuff coming in your head about the anti-vaxxers or anything, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like labeling these, that's what people do, that's what a lot of these, so just be careful what you're doing, what information's coming in, 
because it's tough out there, man. It's uh, you gotta really yeah. watch it. That's why I'm like you, man. I, a lot of my news comes from text threads, and then maybe I'll get it from Twitter when I'm on there a couple times a week. But yeah, most of the time it's secondhand, and I usually secondhand news is it's vetted by someone else, and usually I get the the gist of it out of that. <laughs> yep, yep. I like uh, what's that dude? Uh, Sager. Uh, his news is like okay. I'll follow him on. Uh, is, I think is it the Hill? Oh yeah, the, yeah yeah. The Hill's good. The Hill's yeah, good. Yeah yeah. I'll check that out on social media every so often. I mostly follow financial news just because I've been trying to buy my freedom ever since I got you know hit with a spinal cord injury. Because I'm mm. like you know my work uh, prospect now my longevity is not the same. Um, so I need to hurry up and get enough money to enjoy my life and do the things I want to do. So you know that's the news I watch. But mm. um. Oh, yeah. If anyone's listening to this, I, I fucking love Hillary Clinton and all the Clintons, and they're the best, and yeah, I don't want to die. So I And if anybody else is listening to this, I apologize for everything I said, and I was just kidding. Yeah, yeah, me too. It was a joke. This all was actually uh, just a joke. It's improv, so. <laughs> We're uh, comedians on the side. Yeah, yeah. Usually, uh, usually comedians can't get canceled, but... Some of them are getting canceled these days. We're getting it's getting wild out there. Yeah, man. <laughs> Those are the people who are supposed to be able to speak the truest of truths. Yeah, you know for sure. Yeah. Well, let me throw in. We can wrap up with some of my fun questions here at the yeah. end here, and uh, I'm curious to this. I feel like you have a good answer to this. What was the first concert you ever been to? Dana? The first concert I ever went to. Ah, fuck. It's one of two. I can't remember. It was either. The Up and Smoke tour with Dr. Dre and D12 and like Eminem and them. Oh, hell yeah. Or it was the Hot Boys with like Lil Wayne and them. They, I remember they threw cassette tapes out into the crowd actually with like dollar bills. And <laughs> so I was awesome. like, damn, that's, you know, thinking about how long ago that was. <laughs> it's funny. Actually, I have uh, Dr. Dre's autograph, man, on a dollar bill. Yeah. Man, yep. that's awesome. I met him when I was a little kid, man. We, we waited. Uh, my mom was super cool. Um, we waited. We knew what hotel they were chilling at. Because my mom like talked to some of the people that were like working the venue, and somehow got to talk to the A and R, and she was like, "This is you and your little dude." And my mom's like, "Yeah," and uh, you know, come here, come over here, and, like just wait right here for a second. And so we waited and we waited and we waited, and the next thing you know, fucking Dr. Dre comes out, dude. That's cool as hell. It was man. dope, man. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That, that was probably D twelve and Eminem. That and uh, I used yeah. to have that album. Used to listen to Dr. Dre a lot. It was some good stuff. Oh yeah. Dr. Dre, Eminem, and and Tupac was uh, the stuff I was listening to when I was a kid. When I first started to get into listening to music, yep. you know those yep. were like some heavy hitters back in the day. Oh yeah, man! <laughs> I knew you That's have. Awesome. I knew you have some good concerts there. <laughs> Throwing yep. cassette tapes out. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what is? What's? You know, you list off a couple of books. Um, but what what is some books you know one to a couple books that have greatly like influenced your life or you or you hand out to people or uh, that you suggest that maybe other people should read? Oh, for sure, man. Uh, As a Man Thinketh by James Allen, very short book. I keep uh, seven to ten copies on deck and I give them out to people just because I believe so much in that book. Uh, like I said, I read it four times a year at least. Mm. Um, and it's it's my favorite. It's like an hour audiobook, so it's a very you know very short book. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's that's a big one. Uh, Man's Search for Meaning saved my life. 
Um, so that that's a huge one. That one meant a lot to me. And uh, man, it's interesting. You talked about uh, Thich Nhat Hanh because his book You Are Here. Uh, mm. I, I was having a lot of stress. Like I would start to think about you know my future and like start to get in a spiral of like really bad thoughts and I would get anxious I would start to like have these kind of panic attacks and uh in his book he talks about how to center yourself and uh it's like you have to bring it all the way back to the basics and he's like you know when you think about uh the basics it's breathing and so when you breathe think breathing in I'm breathing in and breathing out I'm breathing out and so I don't know why that like resonated with me so much but when I would get these panic attacks I would just try to breathe and I would go breathing in I'm breathing in breathing out I'm breathing out and it would block everything else out. Mm. And I think it has something to do with like the flow state. I went to a lecture one time on the flow state and there's a interesting story about a guy who was having trouble returning a tennis ball over the net. And uh, his trainer eventually said to him, all right, like you're having trouble. I think you're thinking about it too much. You need to get out of your own way. So when I hit the ball over and it bounces, I want you to think bounce. And when it's time to hit the ball, I want you to think hit. Mm-hmm. And so he, this guy went from returning like, five or six out of ten um, balls accurately to nine out of ten consistently mm. by just thinking about bounce, hit, bounce, hit. So I think uh, you know that one taught me to kind of get out of my own way in terms of my thoughts. So those are kind of like the big three. Um, the Magic of Believing, Claude Bristol, is a fantastic one. The Bhagavad Gita is a wild book. Um, you'll probably have to read that a hundred times and still not understand it. Um, but yeah, those are those are the big ones, I think. I love books, dude. Yeah, (laughs) me too, man. Uh, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, his his book, uh, Mindfulness, I enjoyed a lot. You you talked about, I haven't read You Are Here, but, um, but it, you know, it's real simple stuff, real short book. A lot of it, that's why I love like philosophy, philosophy books, you know, they're very short, but it's like very, very impactful. And his was just, it's essentially just saying we need to be mindful all throughout our entire day. You know, a lot of people talk, you know, when you talk about meditation, it's like, all right, you can be mindful on when you're sitting down and, and when you're intentionally trying to do it. But what if we were mindful every part of our day? You know, we wake up and, you know, we're not caught in thoughts. Or if we are, we notice them, you know, and then we decide if we need to act on them or not. You know, and then it's like, oh, we we head in. It's like, oh, uh, you know, before we're on autopilot to go drink our coffee, you think, oh, wait a second, I was having some jitters yesterday. Maybe I don't need coffee. You know, yeah. and then it's like you're you're mindful 24-7. You're mindful of your thoughts. You're mindful of your, your wife. You're mindful of your dog, you know, your kids, whatever. 24-7, you're mindful when you're on your walk uh, with your dog or or by yourself and mindful instead of on your phone or in your own head, you know, you're just looking at the trees, man. You're looking at the, the squirrels and all that. So (laughs) I I just love how he always brings it down to the basics. I love that too, man. Uh, talks about being mindful. I think he actually mentioned some of that in, in this book because it may not be this book, but it's sticking out to me, but being mindful, like when you eat, Think about, mm. you're usually eating while you're doing something else. You're usually shoving down the food because you're hungry. It's, you're not experiencing the food. You're not looking at it. You're not smelling it. You're not you know, feeling the texture in different parts of your mouth and the different tastes and the way that they interact. Most people don't eat like that. Most mm. people are like, oh, you know, mm. and then they're done. And you know, a couple minutes and the whole time they're 
either on the computer or you know they're in a meeting or something like that but all you have is the present moment and you know the only way to capture that is to be fully in it you know don't be on your phone when you're talking to your friends don't you know be on your phone at the table don't even set it on the fucking table like just hang out with your friends dude you'll never see them you know for your whole life like they're gonna go different ways they're gonna start having kids they're gonna get different jobs and move and stuff like that so like yeah you gotta have these moments dude you know for sure I, I, there was some study comparing U.S. to some other country that spent uh, a significant amount of less time on their phone. And, uh, you know, they were comparing that, like, that's essentially why uh, they were comparing women of America to women of Sweden or whatever it was. It may have been Sweden, one of those countries over there that are more healthier. Uh, but they were just comparing the time spent eating while on your phone. And then in them, you know, it, it was, uh, and they spent way less time because when you're eating on your phone, you're not consciously eating and you're just eating really, really fast. You're not mindful with it. So then the faster you eat, the more, you know, you don't get satiated as much. So you're going to eat something else again. And, uh, you know, and it's just when you focus and enjoy the food it's just a lot greater experience and uh you know like you said just be mindful and be there but i mean dude napoleon hill and think and grow rich even talks about that like most people don't even chew their food enough and he called it masticating because that's the type of guy he is but he's like most people don't masticate their food enough you just you know you take three or four chews then you swallow it but it's like that really helps in your digestion to chew your food it's the first step you know yeah like they say to chew your food at least what is it 20 times or something 25 times each you know bite to make sure you're breaking it all the way down and so your your enzymes can actually process them you know and imagine you know and then all different your uh, microbiota and your gut can actually you know utilize some of the nutrients and communicate with your mind you know and if, if you're just swallowing half pieces of steak and stuff or not right. breaking it down like <laughs> then you're going to start having issues <laughs> yeah i wonder why it's so weird when you poop you know what i mean like i don't yeah. know uh it's good let me see here um do, do you have any like favorite failures of yours or you thought it was a failure at the time but looking back you're like thank god that happened to me man uh the easy one to point to is my spinal cord injury i wouldn't call it like a failure per se but it mm-hmm. was like a real big low point mm-hmm. um but there's also another point in my career that was pretty fucking scary um i ran compensation for the entire plant uh in indiana for uh, one of our locations and so in this we'd have to do like uh different variable payments um one of them was an earnings supplement that we gave to our non-exempt workers so you know over 2,000 or so people that i have to do this calculation in a spreadsheet for and uh, at the last minute, we got this factor that we had to add in, and uh, I inserted a column, and it shifted my VLOOKUP that I had to the wrong column. And we ended up overpaying these people by a total of like a quarter of a million dollars. And uh, at one point, I was the only person in the plant that I knew. And I sat there and I was like, damn, I can just like not tell anyone about this and quit my job and just like peace out. And just go get another job and by the time they figure out like i'll be good you know and so i I really like i was like damn this sucks but for some reason man i felt compelled to just be like i gotta bite the bullet this is like 
some sucker shit if I don't do this. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's the worst they can do? Fire me? I, you know, I got to find a new job anyway. And so <laughs> I went to uh, our vice president and I was like, Rich, I got to tell you, man, I messed up real bad. And I was like, uh, he's like, what's going on? Like, tell me. I'm like, man, the earnings supplement, the reason it was off, it's, you know, I told him like, you know, the calculation error and stuff. And he's like, well, what's the impact? I'm like, quarter of a million dollars. And he's like, <laughs> okay, well, what are we going to do about it? And I like I wasn't even like expecting that as an answer. Like I thought he was gonna like ream me and just be like, "What is wrong with you?" Like I don't I don't know. But he's like, "What are we gonna do about it?" And I was like, well, "You know, I really didn't think that far through it because I, I thought this was the end." Yeah. So <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you know, how, let's let's really like look at our budget and stuff and see if we can absorb it. Um, meet with me and let's go through it." And so I met with him. We talked through it. We didn't have enough money in our budget to absorb it. And so we had to get it back, which sucked because then I had to tell all these people that, hey, we overpaid you. You need to give it back. And this was like two days later and most of those people had already spent it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it was it was brutal, man. People hated me uh, for a little while, but I gained a lot of favor uh, with people by biting the bullet, being honest. And uh, I think it actually helped kind of launch my career because I then had a reputation for integrity at that point. Yeah. Because it, w- it would have been easy to, you know, do the other things. Yeah. Little did you know you built character, you know, and uh, integrity and uh, leapfrog your career, maybe. <laughs> I like to think so, man. But yeah. uh, it was not fun having, you know, a couple hundred people yelling at me about their pay. You know what I mean? I'd have to tell these people they come in the office and, you know, everyone would just look and point to me. Like, he's your guy you need to talk to because no one wanted to fucking deal with it. You know, yeah. like, that guy. <laughs> so For sure. Vulnerability, man, it, it, it builds. That's what I've noticed being in, in leadership is uh you know to to a certain extent you don't want to be show complete weakness but like vulnerability man is is very powerful of a tool to use and it it gains trust it makes people uh feel like you know that you're not like some superior person to them like you make mistakes too and you're okay with it um you know and if like you curate that type of environment then that's an environment where you have more creativity and more people willing to uh, you know share their mistakes rather than quit and go to a new company and you know not face it <laughs> yeah man yeah that's, that's true I mean heck if they would have treated me bad then perhaps if someone else messed up they would have buried their, their mistake you know what I mean yeah so it does set that precedent so that, I think that's interesting what's uh what's one of the most worthwhile investments you ever made it could be money time energy um I don't limit my book budget and so I think books are a fantastic investment um, I do buy from like half price books or different things like that um, I like to keep physical books rather than uh, digital I, I do listen to audiobooks but those I think were a great investment mm-hmm. um, I also put a couple grand um, when the market dropped on, on like I think I, I didn't catch it at the bottom but I caught it like a day or two from the bottom when we had the COVID crash mm-hmm. and uh, I put like five grand in which you know isn't life changing money but um, it, it worked out well, <laughs> you know, after a 50% drawdown, cause I think I cut it after like, after like 40% or something like that. And we're back up to essentially, well, not today, but we're, we're, you know, we're trading back up above those levels pretty highly. So, yeah. um, that was a big one. Nice. Yeah. I, I opened Index up funds. Nice. Nice. I, yeah. I opened up a, like a Roth RA, like right at that time too. And, you know, invested a lot of it in, you know, like the S and P 500 and stuff and, it's did pretty handsomely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, books, man. Uh, Ramit Sethi 
he has a quote that he says like uh, something about books to the effect like if you're if you hear a, about a book and you're, you're you're excited about her, it sounds very interesting. Don't think about it anymore. Just buy the book. You know, it's like five to fifteen dollars, but it could be life changing. And I, that always stuck with me. And I yeah. was just, I'm like you. Sometimes I'll buy on discount. Use sometimes if I'm if I'm already between a couple books, like cause that's what happens to me. I get in between a, a few different books. I'm like I hear a podcast like this one and someone shares a book like man i got that sounds great i gotta have that book now <laughs> then yeah. i start reading it and i was like oh shit i gotta go back and read this other book <laughs> <laughs> dude hell yeah. I, yeah I don't know that happens a lot but yeah i think uh some, someone told me i was actually at the bars and i was talking to this dude about trading options randomly on implied volatility because he was telling me he's making tons of money from it and stuff. And he's like, dude, you need to read books, man. Just read books on it. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, I like to read. But he's, he's like, you got to get a book. Cause he, and he said, uh, a book is someone putting their life's work into a format that you can digest in a couple weeks. That's priceless. And I was like, mm. oh, shit. Mm. And he's like, think about that compounding over time. If you're just reading, you know, these people's life's work over and over again and you're understanding their conclusions and stuff, how you know powerful will you be? And I was like, damn, that really hit. And this was at Brothers and Broad Ripple when this dude was talking to me about this, you know? You find inspiration anywhere. (laughs) Man, I just think some of the preparation I put into, like, I've been doing some speeches for uh, Toastmasters, you know, five to eight, nine-minute speeches tops. And just some of the preparation I put in there of just, like, studying things, prepping, uh, you know, write, I like to write it down too. It helps absorb it and then, and then practice it. And, uh, you know, that takes a lot of time now writing a book and hearing some of these people that have, that have written books, uh, talk on podcasts and it's just, you know, and, and then they put so much time into it, so much work. And these are the most intelligent people, you know, in, of our current time and then like I always like people you know a lot of the books that survived many many years like the older books a lot of these philosophy books those are some of the best too because man if they survived 50 years or 100 years or a thousand years there's probably some good wisdom in there yeah. that uh, that we could probably learn from it that we can't even comprehend on our own yeah, man. And uh, that's why I like revisiting books, too, because like as you go through life and get more context and stuff, it like you, you glean something different like mm-hmm. each time. And so, yeah, it's I love it, man. I love reading. <laughs> yeah, there's uh shit. My window here. <laughs> Landlord's mowing. But it's all um, good. yeah, re- reading's the best, man. And it's I've lost my train of thought now, but um, all good. Yeah. Any other? You know, I, I gave you some questions. Anything else on there that you liked, or anything else you wanted to share? I'll throw some of your, some of your, a couple of your podcast episodes that I mentioned on here, and throw them on here, and just your link to your podcast because I think you have a lot of good stuff on there that uh, people could check out. And uh, I think you do. A, you got a great story, man, and. You know, appreciate everything you do, and hopefully people uh, jump on and gain some insight from you and some of your guests. Hey, I appreciate that, man. That's real. 
and uh, I'm definitely gonna do the same. Like I was hoping, you know, would it be cool to get a copy of this episode after to be able to share it and stuff? For sure. Okay. With, with the lawnmower included. Hey, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I think, I don't know, the last thing I would say, I think is be yourself. You know, I think it's really easy to be other people, especially when we're young, because you have like these different trends and stuff. You know, everyone wants to dress the same because you want to feel included and you know, you want to watch this TV show because everyone's watching it because you want to understand the memes and you know, stuff like that. And so um, I found a lot of joy in doing the things that I want to do. And I think it's led to a greater sense of fulfillment. Um, I mean, it's, I think it's made me more, more interesting. Like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Cause you have different things to talk about with different people and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think just be yourself, man, is, is what I would give. I wish I could have told myself that when I was you know, 13. Yeah, be, be yourself and read as much as you possibly can, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, we weren't, we wouldn't be sitting here talking to each other if that would happen. We'd have probably been, I don't know, doctors or something. <laughs> hey, but there's some, you know, there's some good that came out of it too, man, because now we yeah. are connecting and, you know, hopefully changing people. But for imagine sure. if we read a book for every beer we had, you know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nah, that's that's good, man. It was good talking to you, Danley. Um, you know, I'll send you the the file after. But appreciate it. great conversation, man. Yeah, likewise, bro. We'll definitely have to do it again, man. And uh, dude, if I can get you on mine, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'd be glad yeah. to. Cool, man. Hey, take, take it easy. Take it easy, man. Yep. Talk to you soon. Yep.